book of Revelation, Jesus reprimanded five of the seven churches. And after he did, he made an incredible statement. He said, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open that door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Who's here? Open that door, John. It's the Holy Spirit. He's here with us tonight, Justin, just as you just sang. Amen. Amen. Father, tonight, we're so privileged to be in your presence, Lord. We thank you that you would humble yourself and come and sit with us and sup with us and be with us. Teach us tonight, God, by your Holy Spirit. Bring us to a new level, Lord, in our relationship with you. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Everyone get a handout. That's got nothing to do with tonight. Uh, That's something I put together when I was teaching at North Providence many years ago. I thought it would be beneficial uh, as the vocabulary of salvation. A lot of words that uh, I didn't know uh, that I put together, biblical definitions. And there's another teaching there that's based on what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So uh, you can take those home, you can throw them in the trash if you wish, or you can study them and look at them and learn from them. Uh, Well, what is this now? Oh, ginger glazed salmon. Now, I got some better food than that, even though I love salmon. Uh, Tonight, I want to talk to you about the third person in the Godhead, that is the Holy Spirit. We worship a triune God, and I don't believe that enough emphasis is given to the Holy Spirit. It's not a power. It's not a thing. It's not an entity. It's a person. Just like Jesus was a person, just like the Father is a person, and we address them as so, the Holy Spirit is the third person in the triune God. Try and explain a triune God? Forget it. A simple mind cannot do that because it's spirit. But I want to talk to you about the works of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to stand here tonight and bore you and tell you about things that you've already heard about him, like he's a gentleman. He'll never force himself on you, although those things are true. I want to go a little further than that. As Pastor Mike would say, can we go deeper? Yes, let's go a little deeper. Um... We know that the Father devised the plan. Jesus came and put the plan in action. And it is now the Holy Spirit's job, the culmination of that plan. And he has an incredible work to do in each and every one of us and in the church of Jesus Christ as it is today in this present day. And it needs a lot of help. The church today needs a lot of help. Um, John chapter 16, verses 7 through 14, Jesus said, It is expedient, it is necessary, it is important that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, won't come. 
Well, many of you may ask, because I've asked the same question, why didn't Jesus just stay with us? Well, number one, that wasn't the Father's plan. Number two, he had to be resurrected and finish the plan that God had for him so that our sins could be paid for. He went on, and he left this planet Earth and went on to be with the glory that he once had with his Father. On the day of Pentecost, all the disciples were waiting for this promise. They were all in the upper room. They were gathered together, waiting for what Jesus said he was going to send, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Before we get into the work of the Holy Spirit, I want to give you three cautions, three words that we need to uh, meditate on because they are evident in each and every one of our lives. Those three words are, and let's start with the first one, is resist not. The word resist means to stand against or to oppose. In Acts chapter 7, verse 51, the disciple Stephen was giving his discourse. He was talking about Jesus, the Messiah, in front of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and a group of Jewish people. And he was talking about what was going on in the Old Testament, how it was all leading up to this Messiah that would come and sacrifice himself on the cross to pay the price for sin in the world. The Savior would come. Of course, the Jewish people who had come out of slavery for 400 years were looking for a king riding on a white horse, yielding a mighty sword, and destroying all the enemies of Israel. But that was not Jesus' purpose, was it? Christ's purpose was to humble himself, to be born in a stable, and to be crucified on a cross so that the law of God could be satisfied, so that you and I wouldn't have to satisfy that law because we never could. After his long sermon to the Jewish people, and after reprimanding them, he said these words. He called them stiff-necked. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. You always do resist the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's job then in the early church and today and until the day that the church is taken up in glory and God comes in the battle of Armageddon in the last days is to glorify Jesus and to do a work in each and every one of us. The third work of God's grace is sanctification. Sanctification means to be set aside. Set aside for a purpose. You know, the Jewish nation had a purpose and they failed. When they came out of slavery through the hands of Moses, who God had called by his spirit, all they did was complain. All they did was resist what God had for them, what God wanted for them what God's best was for them. They constantly resisted and complained. And this is what Stephen is reminding the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish people as he's speaking about Jesus being the Messiah. Calls them stiff-necked. 
stubborn, always resisting the power of God and the love of God and the grace of God. Fathers in the Old Testament, from the time they came out of Egypt, many of them wandered in the wilderness, never entering that promised land because of their stubbornness, because of their resistance. Moses goes up into the mountain, meets with God. He's up there 40 days and 40 nights. What does he do when he comes down? He sees these people worshiping a golden calf. He gets frustrated with them. He throws the tablets down and breaks them. The church today and the people today in this world resist what God has for them. So many times in my own life, I felt God prompting me to do something or not do something. It can go either way, can it, church? And I resisted for various reasons, whether it was fear, intimidation, uh, embarrassment. There are so many reasons why sometimes we resist. We hold back what God wants us to do or not do. There are many avenues that I wanted to take in my early years. And God says, no, stop. You remember the story of Balaam and the donkey. Balaam was a prophet of God. And he's striking the donkey. Striking the donkey because the donkey doesn't want to go any further because there's an angel of the Lord with a flaming sword standing in front of him. And Balaam is resisting the power of God And he has a donkey have to speak to this man. And so it is with the church today. And so it is with this world today. You know, we hear so much on the news today about this coronavirus. You know, mankind is always trying to outsmart God, isn't he? We we think we're smarter than God. You know, I'm a firm believer that God allows these things because he wants us to repent. He's trying to get his people to repent and come back to him. Jesus said, he said, I'd love to gather you like little chickens under my wing. And that's what God is always trying to do, isn't he? He's always trying to gather his creation. And he uses various means and he uses various men and women. And this virus, I believe, is only another attempt of God using men to try and get them to see his glory and his goodness and his grace. You may not agree with that. That's fine. There's been so many things that have happened in the medical realm. AIDS epidemic. Now we got an opiate epidemic. Mankind is out of control because we resist what God has for us. The second word I want you to understand is grieve. The Bible tells us, grieve not the spirit of God. Now that word resist, let me go backwards for a minute here. That word resist means to stand against or to oppose. Now there's a regression in these words that I'm giving to you tonight. First there's resistance. Then there's grieving. Grieving means to distress or make sad. You know, even Jesus was saddened in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wept. 
He was sad. He was grieved over his church. He was grieved over his people and how they could resist and call him Beelzebub. You do these miracles by the power of Beelzebub. How can you say that someone is doing wonderful miracles in people's lives, healing them, saving them, and then you say the devil's doing this? That's who Beelzebub is, the prince of the devils. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 30. The writer is exhorting the church at Ephesus to be followers of God. You know, the church, even back then, had the same problems we have today in today's modern-day church. It's a learning process. We're no different than they are. And they're no different than we are. It's a learning process. It's a growing process. And if we resist, and if we grieve, we've got a problem. We've got a serious problem. Five churches in the book of Revelation out of seven, Jesus has to rebuke and correct. I have somewhat against you. So we're not to grieve God. It saddens him when he's trying to teach us something, when he's trying to bring us somewhere, where he's trying to protect us from going. And we don't listen. We just do our own thing. Like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. And my way always ends up in a bad way, doesn't it? I've learned that lesson many times in my 35 years of walking with the Lord. When I do it my way, there's always consequences to pay. It's just the way it is. Moses comes down from the mountain and they're making a a god out of gold. How foolish. How foolish. You just pass through the Red Sea. God just spread the waters. God fed you. He took care of you. And you complain and you say, we're better off in Egypt. Let's go back. How that must have grieved God. When they said, we don't want you, we don't need you, we were better off in Egypt. And you know what? That's what America has done. It began in the 1960s when we took the Ten Commandments down from schools, when we said we cannot pray in public anymore, we cannot pray in the schools anymore, we told God, we're all through with you, you're out of here. And look where we are today. Look where we are, church. The third word is quench not. Quench means to extinguish or to put out. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, the writer once again, he's exhorting the church to live godly lives, to be sober-minded. He tells them to put on Christ. And put off the old nature. Now that's a job in itself, isn't it? Putting off the old nature. This carnal nature, it just stinks. It doesn't want to go away. It will never go away until I go home to be with Jesus. 
We've got to deal with this nature every single day. And this nature wants to resist God. It wants to... What's the second word? <laughs> Brain dead. It wants to resist God. Wants to grieve God. And it wants to quench God. I don't want anything to do with you. That's what the nature, the old nature, the carnal nature is saying up here. Let me tell you, the battle is up here, church. Right here. Right here in this head is the battle that takes place. You know, I'm in the old cartoons. The angel sitting on one shoulder and the devil with his red pitchfork and red uniform and sitting on his right shoulder. You know, and they're arguing back and forth, back and forth, telling, giving all these ideas to the brain. That's where the fight begins. That's why the Bible tells us to renew our minds with the washing of the word. We've been brainwashed, church, from the day you were born. You have been brainwashed by this world, the flesh, and the devil. And we need to brainwash the mind again with God's word. That's the only thing that's going to change this thing up here. It needs to be revived. It needs to be renewed. God's word. You know... I have a private part of me. I, I, I heard someone preach this Saturday morning uh, at another church. I have a private part of me, and I have a public part of me. Now, I can stand up here tonight and give you the word of God, and I can smile, and I can look good, and I can tell you about all God has done in my life, but you don't know the private part of me. You don't know the battles that I have to fight on a daily basis. And I know that happens with you also. The reason I know that, why I know that, is because you're human. That is part of being a human being. You know, when uh, I can't remember who it was, who was the mother of Isaac, uh, Isaac and Jacob? No, never mind. We won't go there. That's too far away from what I'm preaching. (laughs) I have a private part of me and I have a public part of me. You see the public part of me. I greet you when you come in the church. I try and be friendly to you, so on and so forth. But the battles that I fight on a daily basis, it's tiring. It wears you down sometimes. You know, sometimes you just want to get the towel and throw it in and say, oh, let this be over with, please. The times I've prayed... Lord, come, Jesus, please, take me home. Take me home. Now that we've mentioned the three stop signs in the word of God, resist, grieve, and quench, let's talk about some of the blessings that come with the Holy Spirit because there are many of them that are too many to mention. We could be here for weeks just talking about blessings that come from the Holy Spirit. And like I said earlier, there's not enough emphasis or attention given to the Holy Spirit. I hear Pastor Wes all the time, inviting the Spirit, inviting the Spirit, inviting the Spirit. And I know Jesus is important also. They're all important. They're all the same. They're all one. But we're very rarely here about the Holy Spirit. Once in a while, someone will mention it. Let's look at the blessings of being filled with the Spirit. Because this is what the Bible tells us to be. 
filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember the parable that Jesus gives about the ten virgins? Five of them, foolish ones, didn't have any oil in their lamp. Symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Five of them were pretty wise. They were filled with the Spirit. When the Lord came and knocked on the door, oh, there was uh, plenty of hurrying going on. Those five foolish ones went to the five wise ones and said, oh, give us oil, give us oil, give us oil. No, too late. That's why today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to have your lamp filled with oil. We want to burn brightly in this dark world, don't we? And the only way that you and I can burn brightly is to have our lamps filled with oil. Filled. There are basically five. Mark, you can put those up. One at a time. Number one, being filled with the Spirit is very profitable for us. Jesus said these words in our opening verses of Scripture, John chapter 16. He said, it's good that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. So there must be some kind of a thing here going on between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, it's good for me to leave you. It's beneficial for you. You're going to profit by me leaving. If I stay here any longer, the third dispensation of grace that God has for us, that is the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit, his ministry is going to stay in heaven. So I've got to leave here. I've got to go back with my Father, and he will send the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Okay, you can make some noise, you know. No, you don't, you don't have to applaud me, please. Profitable. Bible tells us in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The men didn't make this book up. They didn't sit down over the course of so many years and write down what they thought would be a good idea. Let's come up with a pretty good plan that we could fool the whole world into thinking that there is a God and there is a Savior. No, that's not what it was like. Holy men of God were moved. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. And all scripture is given to us This book is given to us for a reason. It is profitable for what? Reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Three key elements that you and I need to be taught so that we can live a right life for God. You know, you can get saved and you can sit on the bench And you can wait for Jesus to take you home. And that's fine if that's what you want. But that's not what I want. And I don't think that's what you people want because you wouldn't be here if if you didn't want more. All scriptures inspired by God. 
The Spirit moved on these men. The Holy Spirit spoke to these men. The Spirit of God came and moved them and pushed them and spoke to them into writing this book. And this book is given to us for reproof, for correction, for edification, and instruction on how to live a righteous life. You know, in the world today, there's no absolutes. And that's why you've got 16-year-old kids running around with guns and running in theaters and shooting up the place because life has no meaning anymore. You see, a world without God... Let me back up a second. In the end times, it says that the Holy Spirit It's going to be removed. As bad as this world is today, and it's going to get worse, the Holy Spirit is here, and his job, one of his jobs is as a restrainer of evil. He only allows the devil to do certain things according to the Father's plan. But in the end times, it says, when the rapture takes place, the church is removed, Where does the Holy Spirit live? He lives inside of us. When we're taken up, the Holy Spirit is taken up with us. And the Bible teaches that all hell will break loose. It'll be the time that the Bible talks about the great tribulation, when men will desire that the mountains would fall on them and kill them. So the scripture and the Holy Spirit is good for us. It's profitable for us. We gain knowledge from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit opens up the God of the word of God to us. Have you ever been reading the word and all of a sudden a passage of scripture or a chapter that you've read a hundred times, all of a sudden you just get all kinds of gold nuggets come out of it. Amen? The second thing we get from the Holy Spirit is power and protection. Power and protection. Well, how do you mean, Tom? Well, just look at the world today. I've been praying over my family with this virus, and I'm not a fearful person, believe me. I'm not a hypochondriac, whatever you call them. Hypochondriac. I am not a hypochondriac. Thank you. I go outside in the wintertime with no jacket on, and my wife's always yelling at me, what's wrong with you? (laughs) It's 25 degrees out. I'm sitting on my deck. There's snow covering my deck. It's a beautiful sunshine day. The temperature's 25. I got my jacket on. I'm sitting in the sun, and it's beautiful out. I'm enjoying it. But protection. We need protection. The church needs protection. Number one from the spiritual weapons of the devil. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verses 17 and 18, it tells us to take on the whole armor of God, doesn't it? The whole armor. God has given us protection. He's given us weapons. And we're in a wall church, whether you like it or not. I know Pastor Frank and Pastor West were in the military. They were in wars. 
I've never been in the military. I was in the hospital when I got drafted. I was having knee surgery. But we're in a spiritual war. We need to quench. We need the protection of God to quench all the fiery dots of the devil. Because he's got a lot of dots. And you know what? He doesn't know everything about you. But he knows some of your weaknesses. Because he learns. He learns. He watches. He stalks. He's a stalker. He'll watch you, Debbie. And when you, when you make a mistake, when you, when you stumble and fall, he, oh, now I know what's weakness in her. I'll go after her again. So you and I need protection, spiritual protection. We need protection from the crazy people in this world. They're getting crazier every single day. And we need protection from medical problems, viruses, bacteria. I, I, believe, I believe China purposely developed this virus. That's what I believe. But I've been praying for my family every single morning, God build a Holy Ghost wall of fire that nothing can penetrate. Nothing. A holy ghost fire. I don't like that expression with a hedge around me. <laughs> uh, hedges seem to be kind of weak to me. I, I like holy ghost fires much better. <laughs> I remember Pastor, Fr I think it was Pastor Frank or Pastor West several weeks ago spoke about um, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Was that you, Pastor Frank? That word, sealed, is we're stamped. We're branded. We're secured. We're preserved. And Jesus said, I have you in the palm of my hand. That's the protection of God. And I once said something to someone at and, it, and it, I don't know, it just really clicked to them. I said, you know what? We are locked up in God's safe. And he's the only one that knows the combination. He's the only one that knows the combination. We are locked up in the safe of God, in his security, where nothing can touch us. And my wife is always telling me, she's wise. She says, you got to be careful because... Sometimes some of the things we do, we open the door. We can open the door and allow the enemy to come in and raise havoc and hurt us, slander us, lie to us. There's an old song by Fleetwood Mac, Tell Me Lies, Sweet Little Lies. And that's what the devil does. It says that he disguises himself as an angel of light. He doesn't have a pitchfork and a red suit like Santa Claus. He disguises himself as an angel of light and he's the father of lies. Lies penetrate up here. Unless we have on the helmet of salvation. Unless we're good about 
with the breastplate of righteousness. And unless we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible describes God's word as quick and powerful, fast and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to discern, help us discern right from wrong, left from right, up from down, spiritual truth from demonic lies. That's the protection God has for us. The third thing that the spirit we benefit from is direction or wisdom. Making decisions in our lives are sometimes very difficult, aren't they? There's an old book, Pilgrim's Progress. You must remember that, Pastor Frank. Pilgrim's Progress, if you ever get your hands on it, it's very simple reading, but it's a, a really great book to show you the, um, how would I describe it? The direction of mankind and the decision-making in our lives. It really gives some good illustrations. It's a great book. In Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through through 19, uh, the apostle Peter is, uh, he's kind of going about his own day there, and uh, all of a sudden he sees this big sheet come down in front of him. The sheet's got all kinds of unclean animals on it. Animals that Jewish people aren't supposed to even touch. Taboo. Bad stuff. And the Lord says, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord. I've never, ever, ever eaten anything unclean, he says. The Lord says to him a second time, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord. Your word forbids it. Now, see, here's where we need some discernment from the Spirit of God. Because God's word originally said, no, don't touch these unclean animals. But yet now here's Jesus telling people, Peter to kill and eat. So which way do we go here, church? Do we kill and eat? A third time Jesus says, Peter, kill and eat. What I have made clean is clean. So the Lord says to Peter, he says, I have a man in a certain city. I want you three men. Oh, he says, three men are coming to get you. They're going to take you somewhere. Go with them. So Peter goes with these three men. And where does he wind up? He winds up in the centurion's presence. Centurion was a Roman leader in charge of, I'm not sure how many legions of men but he was pretty high-ranked general in the military. Now, if Peter had resisted, which he did at first, if Peter had grieved, which he did, but if Peter had quenched what the Spirit of God was speaking to him, the centurion's family would never have gotten saved because that's why God sent Peter to the centurion, was to bring the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ to this family. The whole household got saved. The whole household. So we need direction. We need wisdom. We need discernment in our lives, church. 
Which way to go, right or left? Left foot first or right foot first? So many decisions we need to make. I know my life, I've made some wrong decisions and I've paid the consequences. I'm sure that's true with all of you. But praise God that we have a loving father. And his grace is extended to us. You know, in the book of Hebrews, there are, and I taught on this at a men's group my son had invited me to. I think there's six or seven what I call the uh, let us scriptures. There's six or seven of them where it says, let us, let us, let us, let us. You see, the spirit of God, yes, he is a gentleman, and he doesn't make us do anything. But sometimes he'll impress something upon us. He'll move something in a particular place to get our attention. And I think Pastor Frank and Pastor West have preached on this, where... God will manipulate. He'll do certain things like he did in Jonah's life. He did it in Jonah's life. He didn't force Jonah to go to Nineveh. But he did something to get Jonah to see what he was trying to do. There's another instance in, I think it's 2 Kings, where Samson, now God told the people of Israel... You're not to intermarry with any other nations, especially the Philistines. So Samson sees this woman down at a city called Timnah. And she's beautiful, according to Samson. I don't know, I didn't see her. (laughs) He says to his mother and father, he says, go get me that woman to be my wife. (laughs) And his mother and father, knowing what God had commanded, no, 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 you're not supposed to intermarry, especially, no, you don't marry a Philistine. Crazy. Are you crazy? What's wrong? Are you doing drugs or something these days? And it goes on and it says, they did not know it was of the Lord. Now here, here's another thing that seems to contradict God's word. In one breath, God says, no, you're not supposed to marry outside of the Jewish nation, And then here it is, God's telling Samson to marry this woman. But there was an occasion that God was manipulating Samson into a place where the nation of Israel and Samson would defeat the Philistines so that Israel could go in and possess all that property. So there is another area where we need discernment. Sometimes God will say things to us that really don't make sense sometimes. Then there's other times when something really makes sense. Oh, yeah, that's got to be from God. And we step into it, and boy, we're in quicksand, aren't we? Put your boots on. It's getting deep. (laughs) The last one is, uh, not the last one, but the fourth one is unity. i got to move along quickly. Unity. In Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, the disciples are all gathered together. They're all in the upper room, and it says they're all in one accord. 
They're not of uh, Paul. They're not of Peter. They're not of this one. They're all in one accord. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the promise, what Jesus had promised. It was Pentecost Day. It was the day of Pentecost. It was the day that Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to come and fall upon them. You see, in the Old Testament and up to this point, the Spirit only settled on people for so long to do like a quick work or to do some kind of a miracle. But it never dwelt in them like it does in the present day church. So on that day, they were all in one room, one accord. They were united. That word is such a misused word in the church today. You see, we can disagree to agree. It's okay to disagree. But we all want to come back to one central point and say, let's follow our leaders, let's follow our pastors, we know this is what God wants for us, and let's just go with the flow of the Spirit, because they're not leading me into any sin. You see, if, if I was to stand up here and say to you, uh, I want you to come to the nightclub with me, the foxy lady, you know, I've never been, I've never been in any strip joint. You would, you would know, you know, I, I could say, well, you know, God wants us to go there. And, you know, God may have somebody go to a strip club. I guess Pastor Mike, he passed out a whole bunch of his books to some of the strippers. He didn't go himself. He had someone do the work for him. But you, you know what I'm trying to say. But we want to be united as a church. One body. One spirit. One purpose. And that is to glorify Jesus. That is the Holy Spirit's job, is to glorify Jesus and to sanctify us and use us for the furtherance of his kingdom. In Acts chapter 2, it says, When the day of Pentecost was come, they were all in one accord, in one place, and the fire of God came like a mighty rushing wind and cloven tongues of fire sat on everyone's head symbolizing the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's what the church needs today. The church today needs a new filling, a new Holy Ghost Pentecost day. We've allowed the flame to go out somewhat. The church of Laodicea, Jesus strongly rebukes. He said, you're neither hot nor cold. You're neither hot nor cold. He told the ten virgins, are told to fill their lamps with oil. Just imagine building a house. Roger, you put the foundation in, and you put the roof on top of the foundation. What kind of a building is that? That's how some churches are built. They're disfigured. They fall apart. There's all different ideas and compromising and all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on. The church needs to be united today. In Ephesians 2.22 it says, In whom you also are built up a spiritual house, a habitation for God. 
foundation has been laid. Solid rock is Jesus Christ. The foundation is the apostles. And you and I are those building blocks that are being built up a spiritual habitation in our individual lives and corporately as a church. And you and I know if there's some flaws in the building plan, that church is going to fall apart. That building's going to fall apart. That person's going to fall apart. If you and I personally don't build on the word of God, we're going to fall apart. It is the Holy Spirit's job to correct you, to rebuke you, to teach you, to admonish you, and to work in your life to make you more like Jesus. The last one, number five, is Spirit's work of revelation. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is something that's revealed to you. Remember, Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus with the, with the disciples. They didn't even recognize him. Here they are. They spent time with him for so many years, three and a half years. And they're talking. Who's this guy over here? Jesus had to give them a spirit of revelation. He had to show them who he was. Now, I don't know if he looked different. I'm not sure. doesn't tell us. But God needs to give us revelation. And you and I, as we read God's word, he will reveal to us the will of God for your life, the plan of God for your life, the purpose of God for your life. And the knowledge of him. We sang that song, I want to know you. I want to know you more. And that comes through our consecration to God. Revelation doesn't come by getting, you know, the PhD on either side of my name and, you know, all the diplomas and all the licenses. That's one, not how revelation comes. Revelation comes by seeking God, by humbling ourselves before God, to inviting the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, seeking God more and more as the days grow evil. What do we fill ourselves with, church? I'll close with this. Hebrews, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may know what the perfect will and purpose is of God for your life. Like I said, I have a public life and I have a private life. And I know you do too, because you're human just like me. Be not conformed to this world. The world, the flesh, and the devil is our enemy. God is our God. He's our friend. He loves us. Um, Pastor Frank, I don't know if you have any closing comments, but I'd like to open the altars to anyone who would like tonight to renew and receive 
whatever word you want to use, the Holy Spirit. And myself and Pastor Frank and Pastor Wes and Pastor Jenny and the elders and whoever else is here will pray for you. Um, You know, if you're stale and dry, if the light is going dim, you need some oil, come and let us pray for you. Amen? Amen. Pastor Frank. Hallelujah. Praise God. In Zechariah, the second to the last book of the Old Testament, in chapter 4, he's describing something that he sees. He's describing a lampstand and olive trees on either side of it and, and pipes coming from the olive trees going to the lamp, supplying the oil. Oil is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 6, it's, this is my word, and this is the power of it. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And then he says in verse 7, he says, And what is that mountain before you? It's like a plain. From a mountain to a flat plain. That's what he's telling him. That's who Zerubbabel, his servant, is. He's saying, by my spirit. This is the work of the Spirit of God. What is that mountain before you, O Zerubbabel? Who stands? What is the mountain? Jesus would say, speak to that mountain, tell it be cast into the sea. The work of the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says, even the word, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Without the working of the Holy Spirit, even the word of God itself is nothing but death. It is sharpness. It is a pointing finger. It is a condemnation. But with the Holy Spirit, it's life. With the Holy Spirit, with the oil of God, the light of God flows in our lives. The profitability of God, I don't mean in a financial sense, I mean in the in the goodness of the things of God, flows in our lives, in the mountains that are before us, the things that look insurmountable, the things that, that dwarf us. They're, they're nothing. They're nothing. It's just the plain. There are certain things that when you look at them, their greatness is so awesome, so... It just puts you right in your place. Whether it's a storm in the middle of the ocean, man, no matter how big the boat you're on. I was on a, an LPH. It's a, little air, it's a little aircraft carrier for helicopters. It was tossed around in a typhoon in the South China Sea like a cork, like just bouncing around. You would let the, the ropes on your hammock, you'd loosen them so you'd get a nice big sway so you wouldn't just roll out and roll across the floor with the trash cans all night long. Smash onto one wall. Smash all night long. We rode out a typhoon. When you're in the mountains and they, from a distance, they look like just, you know, beautiful scenery. But when you're in the mountains, they're so great. The Spirit takes the waves and makes them flat. The Spirit of God is what takes the mountains and makes them like a plain. The Spirit of God takes the things in our lives, the problems that seem like I'm nothing compared to them, and makes them small. 
It's the spirit that makes the difference. And what is that mountain before you, O Zerubbabel? But it's like a plane. If you have a mountain that you need flattened out, you can get a bunch of dynamite and wait on a bunch of guys with bulldozers. Take you a long time. Or you can let the Spirit of God work in your life and flatten out those mountains and calm those seas with a word, peace be still, flatten out storms. There are times that we think we have it under control until we get into some storms, until we're standing under some mountains, until it seems like the world is just crushing us and everything turned upside down. And now from on the top, now I'm on the bottom. And there are things I don't know how to handle. They are out of my control. They're out of my ability to handle. They have gone way beyond anything I could ever comprehend. That's when God comes in. And he does it through his Holy Spirit. I want to close with this. Elder Tom took us to John chapter 14. And there's a little verse down at the end. And Jesus would say, and people get it mixed up. People, and, and it says, and my father is greater than I. And they look at that and they say, well, how could Jesus be equal with God and all the rest? They get mixed up with it. He's not saying he's greater than I am in person or essence. He's saying he's greater than I am because I'm down here in this body. And he is still everywhere. But I have left everywhere, and I've come down here and been born into this body, and I'm just here. But then he says in another place, talking about the works that I do, he says, but greater works will you do. And we look at that greater, and you won't understand that greater unless you understand the first greater. Not greater in essence, not greater in person, not greater in miracles, but I have gone, when he was here, he was in one place at one time. He was either in Jerusalem, or he was in Galilee, or he was feeding the multitude, or he was quieting the sea for one group in one place at one time. But what he's saying is, you're going to do greater works? Is I'm out of here, and I'm sending a comforter, and he's going to be with you. No! He's going to be in you. And when he's in you, you're going to do greater works because you're going to be all over. You're going to be in Jerusalem and in Galilee and in the storm at sea. Everywhere you are, he is. I am. And you're going to do greater works. You got a mountain to level. You got a storm to quench. You got a sea to quiet. His Holy Spirit dwells within us. And greater works will we do because we're His body and His Spirit dwells in us. Stand with me. Hallelujah.